Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. The Tampa Bay Lightning have gone back to back. And I have a very special guest, one of my very good friends, to unpack some lessons from these Stanley Cup playoffs, specifically what Tampa did so well. Oh yeah, it, it's your host, Nick Zararis, as always. Gotta get back to it. We're pumping out content now. We are in the NHL offseason. We are in the swing of things in baseball. The All-Star break is this upcoming week. We'll be back early next week to discuss all things baseball, get an idea of the lay of the land. Football, not too far away. Euros has been very exciting. Both the Formula One and NASCAR seasons are really rolling right now. There's always things to talk about, but... Being that I am a hockey guy, we, we got to unpack these playoffs a little bit, and we're going to talk in-depth about the Tampa Bay Lightning. But before I get to today's conversation with Hunter Hodes of the Lockdown Penguins podcast, Last Word on Sports, got to remind everyone to help support the show. No matter what podcasting platform you use, it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any of those platforms, please throw the show a follow. That stuff really helps. If you're on Apple Podcast, you have an added responsibility because Apple's charts help other people find the show. If you are on Apple Podcast, please go to the show's homepage. Scroll to the bottom. There are going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Underneath that is a button that says Writer Review. If you have a minute, please leave a few words. Please, please, please support your content creators. We are trying out here. We are trying to make smart, engaging content that is not just a stupid headline that is trying to get you to click on the article because it is going to make you mad. All of that said, it's really hard to repeat in sports, especially in hockey with such a ludicrously low salary cap compared to the other major sports off the top of my head, the NHL salary cap is 81 and a half million. The NBA is in the mid one hundreds. The NFL last season was 181 million. The luxury tax in baseball is 210 million. Hockey's only at 81 and a half million. Hockey's got a long way to go and it's going to be a flat cap for at least two more years. And Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet in Canada said it could be as many as five years. The salary cap could remain flat at 81 and a half million. So for a team to repeat, that means they've got players locked in on decent contracts. Or if you're the Lightning, you kind of flout the rules by sitting out your nine and a half million dollar player. He probably could have played the last month of the regular season from some of the rumblings I've heard and read, but they took their time bringing him back. They used that extra money to keep the band together for one more season, and they repeated, and justifiably so. Tampa was the most talented team. I, I'll be honest. I thought they would have a harder time getting out of their divisional part of the playoffs. I thought I picked Carolina to upset them because I thought this would finally be Carolina's year to break through. I was wrong. Hand up. I was wrong. This Tampa team is very special, man. We might not see a team this talented for a very, very long time. All that said, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Hunter. Tampa selects from Ufa, Andre Vasilevsky. You know, and uh, to be able to win this game is huge. Wasi was outstanding. MVP. I was telling him every day, Wasi, you MVP. You, you're the best player. And then they gave it to whatever the guy in Vegas, the Vezina. And then last year, they, they gave Vezina to somebody else, number one bull number one bull why he took both cups you know he took mvp and i was keep telling him he's mvp he's the guy that <laughs> he's the best and with that welcome on one of my very good friends host of the locked on penguins podcast you can read his work on last word on sports I really, really am happy to have Hunter here to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. Specifically, we're going to be framing this conversation around some things we can take away, some lessons we've learned from the Tampa Bay Lightning going back to back as Stanley Cup champions. But before we get into that, I have a little game I'm going to play here with Hunter, and we're going to see if he can figure out the common thread that all of these hockey people have in common. So the first name 
is Mike Yo, the former coach of the St. Louis Blues. He's an assistant coach on the Philadelphia Flyers now. Any idea where we're going with this? Mike Yo, um, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, trying to figure this out here pretty quick. Um, not if you give me like another name, I, oh, I think the I next, might be able to. You, Michelle Terrian. Okay, I can kind of, I can, I, I kind of see it a, a little bit more. Um, coaches that, um, <laughs> you know, they, they have like, it, it kind of reminds me of like a Dom Ducharme, I think, in a way, a little bit with the way their teams, where their head coaches kind of play. Um, they love the, the toughness and the gritty parts of it. I think you're 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 starting to piece together the thread, but I think the next Terry Murray. Now, now you lost you. Now you might have lost me a little bit on that one. <laughs> Mike um, Johnston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Someone who um, was there for not even really. A full season was gone, never, never, really, never really to be seen again from the NHL. But like they played a system that went so far away from where the team is supposed to play that um, it just didn't work. And then when they got replaced, it was just guns a blazing moving forward. So I think, I think is that kind of the right track there? No, but no. I think <laughs> you're getting all right. The last one is the giveaway, Steve Eiserman. Okay, yeah, that, that there you go. I, I now now I know where you're going with it. Yes. But. The, the common thread here was people whose teams won a Stanley Cup after they left that organization. That, that was the common thread here. Steve Eiserman goes to the Detroit job. Julian Brisebois takes over. They win two cups. Mike Yo was the St. Louis Blues coach who got fired the year they went on to win the Stanley Cup. Michelle Therrien was the Penguins coach in 2008 or nine. I forget the year that they won the Stanley Cup before he got fired. Terry Murray was the Kings coach before Daryl Sutter took over when they won the Stanley Cup, and Mike Johnston was the Penguins coach the year before they won the Stanley Cup in 2015-16. So that was our common thread here, and it's going to be very interesting how the hockey history books reflect on Iserman's time in Tampa Bay because there was a very long period of time here where we were all in consensus that this was the best general manager in hockey, and he pretty much never lost a trade, which is pretty hard to do. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he is the main architect behind the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, I know Brisbane has done a really good job since taking over, and he was don't don't forget he was the runner up for the Penguins GM job when uh, Jim yes. Rutherford died. I think he was one of the other two finals. I know Pierre Maguire is up there, but I think if it wasn't for Rutherford, they were going to give it to Brisbane. So he's been in the conversation for a while. But this is Steve Eiserman's team. Um, the way you know both the way both of these general managers were able to put this together, mainly Eiserman was second to none. And again, you know, it's just the big thing. You know, my biggest takeaway from this um, is that you know you always have to be deep at forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, your your star players are not going to produce every game. You know, you saw that with Kucherov even in the final was not at himself. Part of that was due to Scott Mayfield taking a cheap shot at him in the previous series. But you know, when you have players like Barkley, Goudreau contributing and Ross Colton, even though I had no idea who he was going into this season, and Blake Coleman, who's going to get himself a lot of money, and Eric Chernak, and then David Savard, even with that game-winning assist, um, it, it goes a long way, and that's the way I think teams are going to have to be built going forward. That is where the modern NHL is going, and, you know. And as far as you know, the, the word associate, the name association goes. Uh, don't brag on me too much. I've been at the beach for a week drinking a lot, so. <laughs> Um, forgive me for being a little bit slow there, but I mean, this is this Tampa Bay team. This is where the modern league is going. Moneyball man, adapt or die. I mean, that's basically the main thing with that. And it's interesting that you put it like that, because one of the things I have here, I'll start here with the first lesson we've, we've learned from the playoffs is don't skimp on your infrastructure. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about bridges and tunnels. I'm talking about how you get your guys ready to play at the NHL level. We're talking about identifying guys, which is amateur scouting and understanding that just because a guy plays a certain way in junior hockey or college hockey doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to do that at the NHL level. It's identifying specific skill sets and maximizing what guys are good at. The real telltale here is that Tampa Bay's 
two best player, two best forwards are mid-round picks. We're talking about a mm-hmm. second-round pick in Braden Point and a third-round pick in Nikita Kucherov. Any other team in the league could have those guys. Any other team in the league could have those guys. But Tampa Bay saw something in both of them that, for whatever reason, their amateur scouting identified and said, we need these guys. And they were both brought along relatively slowly, a little bit longer in not the NHL. Kucherov a little bit different as a Russian playing in the KHL. But Point was a little bit of an overager in the the, uh, WHL before he came to the NHL, only a handful, nine games at the AHL level. But you said Moneyball, and that's one of the things. You can't take people at face value for perceived flaws. A lot of teams won't draft a guy who's playing in the KHL because they don't want to wait three or four years for them to come over. A lot of teams won't take a center who is five, nine and a half because they have the old impression that your center needs to be bigger to be able to win those face-offs, to be able to win those loose pucks. And Tampa Bay has proven it's not about what you look like, your perce- the perceived biases that are associated with where you play your junior hockey. They only care if you can play. Yeah, I think that's yeah that that's a great one to take away from this. I mean, I know a lot of GMs, you know, they scoff at taking someone who's below six feet because of all that size and you know toughness and whatever whatever garbage they want to throw in your face. But I mean, I think that's the main reason why someone like Point wasn't selected was just because he wasn't like a big body as a lot of these GMs want. But he was still a good player coming out. And then once he got drafted, you know, he goes to the system, and then wow, you know, it's almost like this was where a lot of people projected him to be. And, you know, a lot of that falls on the other general managers because everyone else had a chance to take him, but, you know, they decide not to. Now they're paying the price with he's basically uh, one of the best players on the team. You know, throwing it to like another big thing that you can take away from this run, um, it doesn't matter, honestly, how much your goalie makes. They could make 10 million a year like Carey Price. They can make as little as 2 million a year. You know, Matt Murray made very little money when he won the back-to-back cups with Pittsburgh. You just, you have to get good to elite level goaltending to win a Stanley Cup. And that's exactly what Andre Vasilevsky gave them. And it's so funny, man. Like, go back to 2016. I remember, like, the night Bishop got hurt. This guy comes in. Yeah. I'm like, who in the hell is this guy? I-, I quickly learned because he basically almost stole a series against ar- arguably the best team of the Cap era. But, well, shouldn't say arguably. I think the 08 Red Wings have them beat there and probably the 09 one too. But, it's definitely one of the top five best teams in the cap era. And I knew then he was going to be special, but I didn't think he was going to be that special. Well, that special like he is now. And you just, you have to get that elite 930 to 940 goaltending. You're going to have to have your goalie stand on his head for a couple of games where your team just doesn't have it. And that's what he did for a couple of the games for the lightning in the playoffs. I mean, that's what five shutouts, I think for him in these playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. or five series clinching shutouts overall now for him throughout his career. I mean, he is just, he's the best goalie in the league. He's going to go down as one of the best goalies of this generation. Um, and that's just everyone, you know, that that's always the big thing when a team goes deep, you know, Carey Price turns on a heater when he wasn't good again, the regular season, he gets the Canadians to within three uh, wins of their first championship in a very long time. It, like I said, it doesn't matter how much your goalie makes Sure, you don't want to pay them a lot of money, but you know, in some cases with these two, you do got to pay them a lot because they're the two best at their position. You know, it's kind of like in the NFL, you're going to pay the, the, the best running back however much he wants because he's going to give you that production for a long time. You know, as for you know the other running backs, you don't have to pay them that much because they're obviously not elite and not as good. So that's where my stance is with the goaltending. But um, and he also I think deserves the consmite. I understand people wanted Kucherov to win it, but you could have given it to either one of them. It was kind of, yeah. it was kind of reminding me of the Penguins in 2017. Malkin and Crosby were both near 30 points. They both were sensational. Either one could have won it, and I wouldn't have cared. Sid ended up winning it. That's just that's the nature of the situation when you have two great players playing their best hockey at the same time. One of the things that was interesting in there that you touched on was talking about how it's kind of a requisite that if you want to make a deep playoff run, you have to have the goaltending there. And yeah. I went and looked. I went to Evolving Wilds, Evolving Wilds, goal saved above expected. I went through the last five years. Interestingly enough, the only time the leader in goals saved above expected won the Stanley Cup over the last six years here in my notes, Vasilevsky both times. 
That that actually it, it's that, interesting. That does make sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I honestly figured Murray would be up there from 2017 because he came in and was like 937. But it, it it makes sense just because of how great Vasilevsky was these last two years, though. It is definitely interesting that that's been the only time that the leader in that has won the cup. Yeah, it's the only time since the modern stat tracking stuff has been good. Anything pre-2015, you got to take with a little bit of a grain of salt because the shot tracking isn't as accurate. The NHL still hasn't figured out shot tracking, which is kind of embarrassing considering, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but that's neither here nor there. The main point here is talking about goaltending and we've seen it a few times now where one guy is able to pick up the rest of the team and that ties nicely into the main one of the main main things i've been saying for a while now you have to be able to win games in more than one type of way you mentioned this when we were planning this out a little bit in the outline we have but you cannot only have one way of winning and tampa especially in this run this year showed you they are a multifaceted team that can play an open-ended up and down marathon style game like they did against the Panthers. They can win that ugly knife fight in a series like against the Islanders where every inch of the ice is going to be brutal and they'll outwork you. They will flat out outwork you. And that's a testament to coaching and talent development and getting guys to the point where they can make an impact no matter what their role is on the team. That fourth line, it's not the prettiest, but Colton Johnson and Pat Maroon, those guys make an impact. They are a helpful, positive part of the team. It goes back to what you said originally about having four forward lines that are able to at least tread water, if not better, at five on five. But you need to be able to win more than one type of way. The only way Montreal was going to beat Tampa in this series was if Carey Price played 955 save percentage type of goal that was the only path for montreal to win this series was to try and win every single game two to one or three to two there was no world in which montreal was going to outscore tampa bay in a 5-4 every single game type of series well first off jeff or sorry nick you know jeff merrick (laughs) always does this when he uh talks to elliot but uh i want to thank you for taking my third point away with what you can take away from this and that is yes he, he is right you know they can they can beat you 6-5. They can beat you 7-6. Hell, they'll beat you 9-8 if they want to. But they also, as Nick said, they can beat you one nothing. They can beat you 2-1. They can beat you 3-2. They'll, be, they'll beat you any way they want you to. And, you know, that was also uh, prime evidence, you know, against the New York Islanders who do trap it down pretty well because, of course, Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in hockey. But that game seven, one nothing game. And then, you know, yesterday – one nothing against the Canadians, and they're another team that they trap it down, not to the degree that the Islanders do, but it's still, to a degree, you know, it, it works for them. They know they don't have the high-end talent to score against Tampa Bay, so they're going to do, you know, they're going to, they found an identity, as you know, that's the oldest cliche in the book, and they're going to stick with it, and that's exactly what the Habs did, but Tampa Bay can exploit that any way they want to, and they did just that, and they were able to win that game one nothing, even though Carey Price was really good in that game. And honestly, um, after those first three games, I thought um, he played more like the Price that we saw in the first three rounds than he did um, in the first three games of this series. But yeah, I mean, multifaceted, that's probably the best way to describe them. And again, man, they're going to be a tough out again next year. You know, going for two is really hard, but going for three is even harder. Of course, you know, my, my team found that out the hard way against the Washington Capitals. But I think the big thing on their side is, they're not going to be as fatigued, I think, going into next season. It may sound weird because they just won two championships in not even a year, but they didn't have to play as many games as the team like the Penguins did or some of those other teams. Um, and, you know, especially with, you know, someone like Kucherov, he hasn't had to play as many games either. So um, it, it actually – it favors them in a way to go for a 3 P due to those factors. It wouldn't be surprising if they did it, um, but it, it's still going to be one heck of a challenge for them to do that but like I said I still wouldn't put it past them of how good they're going to be next season they have the core pieces in place sure they're actually going to have to lose players this time unless Alex Kalorn is going to be out for a full season with a broken leg which probably won't be well probably won't happen anyway but um they're still I think going to be the top contender going into next season 
And wrapping up this point about being able to play more than one type of way, this is the problem we've seen other teams we feel like could be legitimate contenders. We thought Colorado would be a legitimate contender, but Colorado is heavily relying on scoring off the rush. In the playoffs, there is less room to operate because the officials swallow their whistles and it's harder to create rush attempts. Same thing for Vegas. Vegas, two years in a row now, has lost to a less talented team because they could not create offense off of the rush. And Tampa can create off the rush. They'll dump and chase you. They can involve their D-man in the offensive zone and get production off the back end. And too many teams are reliant on only one type of hockey and that is why they have a hard time the islanders were too reliant on the dump and chase they could not get the pretty goal that you know a more talented team would be able to create they weren't able to create as much off of the rush there's nothing wrong with having a a specific way you like to play but if that's not working you need to be able to adjust on the fly and not every team has the talent requisite to do that not every team like tampa is legitimately 12 to 13 forwards deep they brought matthew joseph in off out of the press box and he was perfectly fine the two games he got in in the cup final there is nothing more comforting than knowing as a team that no matter who we put in here someone is going to be able to help us play better. And for a lot of teams, that just is not the case because they are stuck doing one type of thing over and over again. And if it doesn't work, that's it. We got no more ideas. And it's very refreshing to see Tampa buck that trend to say, we can beat you any way we want to beat you. We don't have to play a specific way. We are this damn good that we can beat you three, four different ways. I mean, we didn't even mention the whole, Montreal's whole path here was riding goaltending and defense. Tampa Bay can do that too. Tampa Bay's got all that forward talent, but Tampa Bay can lock down the puck and forecheck the shit out of you and not give you any space. And they can win the one nothing game, as you said. Yeah, their their defense. I know we talk on their forwards so much, but their defense is one of the best units in the league. I mean, Hedman actually woke up after being hurt for most of the season, played a really good playoffs. Ryan McDonough. I mean, I, I for some reason I saw some other Rangers fans on Twitter not being happy that he won the cup again. Don't really understand that. I don't really know what he did wrong with New York, unless you can. Tell me that he played, uh, he played very hurt for about three whole seasons and was not as good as he had been prior to that. The Rangers didn't put him in a position to succeed. They asked him to play hurt. He tried to gut it out. He wasn't as good as he had been in the past. And they got a bag of chips for him in return, which is the real problem that the real underlying source of that soreness. Because, you know, if the Rangers had gotten Mikhail Sergachev or Jonathan Druin in return for McDonough, no one would have batted an eye. We would have said, okay. But because the return was so shitty, I mean, maybe one of the assets they got out of that entire bundle of two roster player, two prospects, a roster player, and three draft picks might make the team this fall. One of those assets might make the team. So to your point, yes, McDonough, excellent playoffs. I know John Cooper, I think it was John Cooper said he's not going to get any acknowledgement for it, but he could win the con Smythe just as much as anyone else because of how good he was. He was particularly good in the Islander series. I must say McDonough, that was probably his best series of the playoffs. He was very good in the final, but against the Islanders, he wasn't given an inch. He was blocking shots. He was winning all those 50-50 pucks in the corner. And mm. he, you could tell that you could tell how important the defense was for Tampa on this run because it was so noticeable against the Islanders. There were no shooting lanes. The Islanders were just taking put shots from the point in the perimeter in the shin pads, the entire sixth and seventh game. Yeah. There was a lot of one and dones for them too. They would get in the zone and then Tampa Bay would just take the puck right away. I mean, that was, I think nope. the biggest takeaway from that series, you know, and you said, you know, they, they can beat you in so many different ways. Chernak, was awesome. I think really think he came into his own these playoffs and showed people that he can be a top four D on basically any team. Sergachev was awesome, even though he was kind of playing the villain role um, yes. for basically the entire playoffs for Tampa. You always have to have a villain um, when you go on to win the cup. And that's just, that that's how it is at this point. And, and that's exactly what he was um, for Tampa. Even David Savard, who yeah. I think they overpaid to get for him. Had that awesome pass last night, and I think played his best hockey in the final. 
he was good. John John Rota, I mean, I didn't really know who he, who he was coming into this season. Next thing you know, he's playing top pairing minutes with Victor Hedman um, for on a lot of nights. So they're, they're just they're so deep. Luke Shen is there, and he's not even that bad anymore. Um, and it's just this team is so well constructed. And again, you know, they they have that all that skill, which is always what you need. But you know, they also they mix it with those 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 grind guys in your bottom six, which you know. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, you need those kind of players. But I mean, did they help? I mean, you know, someone like Blake Coleman, who's going to probably get a five times five contract from a team that's at least, yeah, yeah, it's probably going to be an overpayment. Good good luck to whoever signs him. Um, Same with Barkley Goudreau. I mean, he's probably going to get a decent contract, maybe not a five times five, but people are going to look at them, overpay for them because they're going to think that that's what you need to win the cup. And, you know, you need that in a way, but the biggest thing is you need like your core players in place so that, you know, you just, you have your chunk of cap devoted to them and then you can just build around them. Once you have your, those core players, I'll always say this, the, the easiest job for a general manager is just to make the right moves around them and not screw it up. I'm looking at you, Ken Holland. I'm looking at <laughs> you, Jim Benning. I'm looking at Kevin Adams in Buffalo with Jack Eichel and a couple others. And, um, I can't even really say Vegas because they don't even have a number one center, but you know, they might at some point here soon, but that's just the, you know, the biggest thing I think for me. And then, you know, we already touched on Vasilevsky who was just a God, but yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay defensively, it just, it reminded me so much of, you know, just watching Pittsburgh and their cup runs because even though they could outgun you as well, 2017 game six against Nashville, they didn't allow anything. San Jose, they allowed one shot in the clinching game in game six. Um, they could trap it down if they wanted to as well and play their one, two, two Tampa Bay could do the same thing here. And um, it's just, they can mix so many styles together and it's just a perfect blend of hockey. They really are um, such a fun team to watch. And going off of that, cause you touched on it in there talking about how a lot of general managers and especially the hockey writers, the hockey writers, for some reason, think the reason the lightning won the last two Stanley cups is the third line. You got to have those guys. You got to have competent support players, like you said, yeah. building around your core. Those guys make a difference. You cannot be punting 11 minutes of five on five a night by having a subpar fourth line and only an average third line. On some teams, that Tampa third line would be a legitimate second line. On some of the more shallow teams, that absolutely could play as a second line. But one of the things you said in there is talking about how there's a such an emphasis on having the support players, the Coleman's, the Goudreau's, the Yanni Gord's that are physical, they're gritty. I don't think enough people beat it into their head that that's cute and all, but you know, those guys are only playing 11, 12, five on five minutes a night. When it comes down to it, you need your Nikita Kucherov's, your Braden Points, your Anthony Sorelli's, your Palach, your Kalorns. You need your top six to have that dog in them, to be able to play that ugly style of hockey where they're going to have to be able to win those 50-50 pucks. Someone like Kucherov, he's going to cut to the net, and if someone's grabbing him by the back of his jersey and it's not getting called, he's going to drag them with him to the net and try and score because he's got the mentality of, okay, they're not going to call anything in these playoffs. I can't go down. I got to go to the net and keep carrying this guy on my back till I score. And more teams need to focus on getting that kind of hockey out of their top six as opposed to just tacking guys on to your bottom six because we've seen it more than once where a team goes out they'll spend ten and a half million on two bottom six forwards they'll get into the playoffs and those guys will be fine but if your top six isn't scoring enough goals you're not winning the series that's the biggest thing if your top six is not scoring you can't depend on your third and fourth line to be the difference. Yes, having a good and third third and fourth line helps, but when you get to a conference final, a Stanley Cup final, your opponent is going to have a good third and fourth line. So you can't just depend on your third and fourth line. You need your top six guys to be able to create offense when there is no space, when the officials are refusing to call penalties. And that's one of the things... I've been repeating for a while now. I've written about more than once in reference to the Rangers, not just, okay, we signed Blake Coleman. We're going to go out and we're going to get a Phil Deneau and a Blake Coleman. That doesn't matter if Mika Zibanejad isn't going to be able to win those 50-50 pucks and play some good defense. You can't just graft on 
that bot that type of bottom six player who's going to be able to win a grinded out cycle game your top six needs to be able to play that grinded out cycle game and it ties nicely into your point about being able to play more than one style of hockey if your skilled players can't play the dump and chase game you're gonna have a hard time in the playoffs when the officials aren't calling anything yeah and you know and to your point about you know the, the top six i mean you know Tampa Bay kind of got lucky running into a couple coaches who didn't use or didn't do the best roster construction I think to their top six you know I'll start with the example of the Islanders right I mean obviously no Anders Lee hurts a lot he's one of the best net front presences in hockey but then you have Leo Komarov staying up there on the Barzell line it's like he didn't score all playoffs he, he has like two points and you're putting him there over someone like Oliver Wallstrom, who eventually got healthy, but you're not playing him. I just no. explain that logic to me. Then you have Montreal, who don't get me wrong, uh, um, it's just obviously they had a great run, but you're not going to put Tomas Tatar in there, who some team is probably going to sign for a two to three year deal, two to three million per. It, it is probably going to be such a team friendly contract. Dude's going to put up like 45 to 50 points next season. And then all the hockey men are going to be like, wow, like, where did this come from? It's like, well, he's kind of always been like this throughout his career. Right. So, but instead they decided to, to dress like Jake Evans for some unknown reason. I mean, they took Jesperi Kakaniemi out, the guy who freaking forced game seven against Toronto and then was one of their best players during the playoff run. And it's like, that's not the kind of player that you bench um, not just from your top six, but from when the when the stakes are the highest, right? Dude's 21, yeah. 22 years old. That's when you want your those players playing in those high stakes games. And especially when you're facing elimination, you, you need all the help you can get with scoring because that's not been your biggest thing that's led you here. You want to ice that kind of player in your lineup. And for some reason, Don Bouchard decided not to do that and double down on icing Jake Evans in his lineup and a couple um, other players who really were just not that good during the playoffs. So I really like that point that you made. Um, and that just goes to show, you know, you the, the hockey men, you know, for, for some reason, you know, they, they like to overthink stuff. Um, I had touched on, you know, Tomas Tatar is going to get one of the best contracts in the league value-wise. He's going to put up however half a point per game next year. And we're all going to be sitting here wondering why he wasn't in the lineup against Montreal. You need – a competent top six with no dead weight up there. Like I said, with Leo Komarov and Jake Evans and, and all that, you just, you need to ice the best lineup you can ice. But for some reason, the, the teams that Tampa Bay went up against in the last few rounds, and don't go around the Islanders gave them the biggest fight of them all. They didn't do that, especially when the Islanders were just trying to figure out scoring those last couple of games, especially in game seven and Trotz continued to double down on Leo Komarov, which just made no sense when he started the playoffs and made no sense when they got to the end. It's one of those, th it's one of those mysteries of life. We're never going to figure out because whenever some brave soul does actually ask them that, and very few reporters will actually ask a coach, how come you played this person over this person? Cause they want to avoid the confrontation in the post game scrum media scrum. But the answer is always, I like what he brings to that line. And in a vacuum, having a big body who might be able to win some loose pucks and screen the goalie is a good concept. It is not a good concept when you see what that person actually does in practice. And that that's one of the things I think hockey struggles with more than other sports is people project what they want to see onto a player. They will look at someone, whether it's a prospect, a washed up veteran, a finished product, someone still developing, and they will take what they want that player to be in their head. And that's what they're going to be to them. Perfect example. Mark Bergevin looks at Carey Price four years ago, five years ago, and he says, this guy is the best goalie in the world. I'm going to pay him like that. And he's going to be the reason we get to deep in the playoffs every year because we need to have the best goalie in the world to be competitive because we don't have the forwards around them, the forwards in front of them to be a quality team. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. You look at some of these, like perfect example, Blake Coleman. You mentioned before, Blake Coleman is going to, double his net worth in one contract because every general manager is going to see the one-armed diving goal where he threw the puck at the net with a outstretched stick in one arm mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to put that guy in my third line and he's going to do that for me. 
Yes, Blake Coleman is good at scoring goals with one arm. There's an entire, like, 30-second clip. He did it a few times for the Devils. I remember he did it opening night against the Jets in a game the Devils were winning 3-0, and then they ended up losing 4-3 in overtime. Blake Coleman is a good hockey player. You cannot rely on the last two years in Tampa being what you're going to get from him going forward. And I really want I really want better understanding of the way hockey people think because we just need answers. If you give me a good enough answer as to why you wanted to do that, sure, I'll listen to you. But so often it's, I had a feeling about it. It's, I like what that person yeah. brings to this situation. And it's just frustrating as both an analyst, which we're doing here on the podcast, and as a fan, because I want to understand. If you at least make it understanding a bad decision, okay, I can understand why you chose to do that. But if you're doing something purely on your feeling or your hope, you're you're not making sound decisions. And well, yeah, and that's exactly honestly what Mark Bergevin did this entire offseason too for Montreal, <laughs> right? He kind of yeah. did it based on hope. And that this would work. And, you know, in a way, he was right. You know, they got within three wins of the he final. Got the best now, case. He got the yeah. best, absolute best case scenario for the team he assembled. Yes. The whole, the whole point of what Hunter and I are doing here is we're trying to unpack things that other teams are able to replicate. The idea here is you're going to need more than one crack at this. Teams don't just win the Stanley Cup the first year they're competitive. It's very, very, very rare that a team who is either a first-round exit or misses the playoffs entirely makes a deep playoff run because it takes a lot of tries. You want to have as many tries at it as possible to try and win. And the best way to do that is to have players who do their thing consistently over a period of time. You cannot hope that Josh Anderson turns into a 35-goal yeah. guy because he did it once two years ago. You can't be putting all your eggs in the, this guy can did this one time, he might be able to do it for me, and I'm trying to save my job, so I need to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I mean, I think you basically hit the nail on the head there. And then, you know, of course he gave Josh Anderson a seven year term, which, you know, was just ludicrous at the time. Um, but then, you know, the, the biggest thing for Montreal this off season, are, are they going to make the right decisions? I think Andrew Berkshire was talking about this last night, who hosts the cross check for um, my network, you know, are they going to make like, the painful decisions or are they going to make the right decisions? You know, yeah. are you going to double down on what you did this year going into next year? And, um, hope you know as you know rebellions are built on hope as the year they say in star wars are you gonna hope that this works again next year i mean you, you probably better not because now you go back to a division with the realignment that has a boston team that's probably going to re-sign taylor hall which is they're going to be nasty and i know that their core players are getting older Tuka Rask, i think will be back and that's still a good team toronto is going to be really good again florida is going to be good and then obviously you have tampa bay the two-time defending champions i mean at best, they're the fifth best team in that division. They're going to have to hope that a couple of those other teams run into either one, injury problems, or two, they just are not as good next year as they were this year. And, you know, Bergman, he needs to go out and actually get some immediate help and not have this, you know, fallacy hope, you know, that he did this past offseason. Go out, get a top-fledged fledged score. I mean, you obviously you have a lot of those core pieces in place, right? Nick Suzuki, he really impressed me during these playoffs. He was He's going to be one heck of a player uh, throughout his career. You know, I kind of dogged on the uh, Bergerman when he made that Pacioretty trade, but it's starting to look a lot better now. Cole Caulfield, never, I'll never understand why he was scratched at the beginning. He's going to be one heck of a player when he is fully developed. Um, you know, Weber, I think he's turning back time as much as he can. Petrie is usually really good, though, in the playoffs. I think he definitely had more to give. You got to hope that Carey Price, well, very good as we'll hope again. You got to hope that Carey Price is not regular season Carey Price next season and actually plays like playoff Carey Price, where he played like he was in 2015. Tyler Toffoli, again, another really good player. Like they have these, these core pieces intact. It's just a matter of not giving out these bad contracts to some of these players. They need help on D, they need a superstar kind of player. Honestly, man it makes so much sense for them to go after someone like Jack Eichel. They don't have a number one center like that. And Bergevin would pro probably try to make it work because he's in on basically everything with how much of a madman he is. And 
you just, you, you can't try to do this again next year or even the year after that. You got to have a plan in place. You know, I know, I know a lot of people are going to call this a fluke. You know, people are going to say they got lucky against Toronto and in a way they did, you know, John Tavares getting hurt was really big. The Leafs choking is obviously something that maybe we you can bank on that for. though. That's yeah. the thing though. You can bank on that. That's not hope. That's okay. We're going to play the Leafs. And if we get to a game seven, they're losing. Yeah. I mean that, and the, you know, but they beat Winnipeg fair and square. They actually yeah, Winnipeg beat, stunk. They, yeah. They were bad. They beat Vegas fair and square. I thought Vegas was the more talented team. They played Montreal, Vegas to a draw. They yeah. played Vegas to a draw. And, and you, if and you, you play a team to a draw, you get to a couple overtimes and you win a draw, that's fair. that's reasonable to me. I'd say the only series they got legitimately lucky in was the Toronto series. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. It's just, it's probably going to be a while, I think, before this team is back in the final. You know, they, they took advantage of the season because it was so different. You always knew there was going to be some weird-ass matchup in the final. An yes. all-east matchup, especially two rival teams that have played each other in the playoffs multiple times over the last decade they were able to make it work now the hard part comes you've got to make the right decision so that you, your team has the best chance of being competitive next season and take the lessons that this run gave you and apply them to how you build your team for next season if they come back and try to think that this was oh yeah guys like this is going to work again they, they will miss the playoffs I, you can honestly bank on that if they try to do that again one of the things in there that you mentioned before is that we're going to go back to the old division alignment, the, the regular division alignment in the fall, assuming everything is normal and, you know, there's no more concerns about going between the United States and Canada where there's no travel restrictions. You can't bank on a wild card either because you got to think about the the Metropolitan Division yeah. as well because the Hurricanes will be in there, the Rangers will be in the mix, the Islanders will be in the mix, Washington, Pittsburgh will be in the mix. Uh, you can't bank on be uh, realistically Montreal talent wise they're in this talent wise they're in the tier of teams like the Rangers who if things go well for them they might be able to get into the playoffs this upcoming season but you know you things got to break right for that to happen you can't be just banking that we're talented enough to get there on talent alone you got to get some fortuitous luck along the way that things happen to other teams uh, things of that nature but just tying up here talking about Every team puts their, every organization puts their team together with the mindset of, well, the teams that are trying to win. The Sabres, I don't know if this is what they do, but every other team in the league says, if we put this team together and it plays right, we can win the Stanley Cup. Some teams are more realistic in the way they do that. They put together a team talented enough to do that. And there are teams like the St. Louis Blues who were trying to do a version of that, but... My big point, my big not like sarcastic wise ass like that just was point is some teams recognize that, okay, we are a legitimate contender like the Lightning. Okay, we're at the trade deadline. We need to add something. We need another defenseman. Let's go get another body in here just in case defensemen always get hurt in the playoffs. That's just the nature of the playoffs. They go out, they get Savard. They can healthy scratch Luke Shen. Beautiful. The thing that matters is being realistic. There is no point in being foolish, foolhardy, uh, naive. And I think a lot of us looked at Mark Bergevin as being naive, that he thought the team he put together was going to be seriously competitive this year. A lot of people had Montreal out of their playoff predictions at the beginning of the season. They figured Vancouver would be there or Calgary would be there. And they got into the playoffs. And we all wrote them off against Toronto, and we assumed they would be relatively competitive against Winnipeg, and we wrote them off against Vegas. And to be fair to them, in the five games against Tampa Bay, they played well enough to win two of the five. Realistically, they probably should have gotten a game six, but that's just the way hockey is. And it's going to be a very chaotic offseason. I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'm sure Mark Bergevin will be in the middle of it for some, somehow, some way, somehow. He's going to insert himself into something, even if they don't end up getting one of the pieces that's out there. I'm sure there'll be the, you know, the story after in the aftermath that, yeah, Bergevin was there on the last day, but he didn't want to depart with player X and Y for player Z. And I really can't wait for these, this offseason. Like you said, there's a lot of shit that's going to happen very quickly. 
Yeah, no, I was just, I, I was distracted by something here because there, there apparently seems to be a surfer going into the ocean during the <laughs> tropical storm. So this is, he's just planning his death wish. But uh, to, to your original point, yes, you know, the off season is going to be hilarious. I can't wait to see uh, Mark Bergevin. He always says he's done, right? But then he's just like, no, no I'm, I'm going to make it this trade. And I'm going to make this trade. And I'm going to make this signing. And that, that's just what he's going to do this off season. You can never really count him out until everything is done you're already starting to see a lot of players um openly ask out i mean you saw it last night vladimir tarasenko has asked for a trade out of st louis i don't even know what a package for him looks like because he's just been so hurt these last two to three years i don't even know what teams would want him obviously he probably wants to go to a contender um but what contender would want him on 7.5 million for one year when he cannot even stay healthy also, you have expansion drafting. I think the lists are needed to be in in the next 10 days, if that sounds right. So in about a week and a half to two weeks, we get to start laughing at people who um, potentially screwed up their lists again with Seattle. Um, I can't wait to see which GMs did not learn from Vegas and protected someone like Alex Petrovich over Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith. Um, but it, it is actually going to be a fun offseason, I think, for the first time in a while may not get up to the point of the NBA where you see all the star players going from team to team. But I still think you will see a lot more movement um, than normal, especially with Jack Geichel, Sam Reinhart, Tarasenko, Oliver ekman Larson. I think. I think I saw a rumor this morning that Vancouver wants to move, bring him in and ship out Nate Schmidt. That's just Jim Benning at his finest there. And then um, – Seth Jones, pro- Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. Yep, someone's going to overpay a King's Ransom for Seth Jones, which would just be hilarious. Dougie Hamilton's probably going to get around $9 million per. Seshnikov is going to get a huge contract. Um, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goudreau. There's so many goalies on the open market. Um, this, this is going to be one hell of an offseason. I can't wait to see what money is flowing around. I can't wait to laugh at some teams that make some bad overpayments because that is just the most, that's the most fun time of the year. I think it comes up now in three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, it's free agency. So yep. now we get to sit back and wait for expansion. And NBC is also out of it now. They had their last game last night. No more Pierre Maguire eating a hot dog awkwardly and just talking crap about analytics. And we also get to start ESPN um, in about a couple weeks with the expansion. So this should be one heck of an offseason. Yeah, I, I'm very excited because every summer – A general manager is desperate to save their job, so they will go out and do something stupid, and it ends up getting stuck with the next guy. That is one of my favorite traditions of every summer in the NHL universe, is general manager desperate to save his job, make the playoffs, and go on a reasonably deep run, throws the kitchen sink out there on July 1st, and they end up paying jay beagle three and a half million dollars a year that 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 kind of thing the the jim benning special the we're gonna give tyler myers seven years term the the i'm trying to save my job so i need to go out and add a bunch of guys to tell my owner we know what we're doing we're gonna be fine mark bergevin was that guy last summer he went out and gave tyler to that money he traded for josh anderson gave him an extension he was the i'm trying to save my job guy We, we were an overtime goal away from Mark Bergevin probably being fired in that first round series because this is his last year of the contract he signed is the 2021-2022 season. And no one goes into their last year as a lame duck GM. You just don't do that. That's bad business for yourself and for the organization because, like I just said, you got to take care of the long-term interests of the team as well. And when general managers don't, that's where we get some entertaining things. So just wrapping up here, if you had a gun to your head, who would you say is Tampa Bay's most important player? Most important. Um, I'd say that's that's good. Um, well, Kucherov, I Vasilevsky. I can't really say Kucherov because they literally won in spite of the season. <laughs> but yes. he, he is he is really good. Um, it's honestly a toss up between Vasilevsky and Hedman, but mm-hmm. you know they also won kind of in spite of Hedman for a lot of the season because he was pretty dog shit too. I am going to go with Vasilevsky. Um, okay. They, they, he is – I saw the staff from Adam Getz last night. When Vasilevsky has not played these last two years, the Lightning are 13 and 14 and 5. <laughs> um, when he does play, obviously, the record is well above 500. Um, was amazing back-to-back years in both of the Stanley Cup, both of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, has earned every penny 
of that contract. If they do not have him there, they do not win those two Stanley Cups. I mean, there's no, just absolutely not. there's absolutely no way you need him at his best, even if he's just average to even a little bit above average. Um, that's totally fine. You can win a Stanley Cup with average goaltending, but with the way he plays, you just you need him to be really good, and that's exactly what he has been ever since he came into the league. You know, I know goaltending is very um, high variance. It's voodoo. It's whatever you want to call it, but you can count on him being the probably the best goalie in the world season after season. I know he didn't win the Vezina this season, and I know Nikita Kucherov was not happy about that and that epic post-game rant that you saw last night, which we do need more of, by the way. If you're mad about yes. that, you're just basically a boomer at this point, and you just don't want any personality within any hockey players. But um, I think he is definitely their most important player. So in a beautiful way to tie up this conversation and wrap it all up, there's no better testament to the strong construction of Tampa Bay's roster than the fact we just said their best player is a goalie and they won the Stanley Cup pretty convincingly with the best player as a goalie because they have so much other talent. Build your rosters with more than one way to win. If you have a good goalie and good defense, get good forwards too. You don't just have to rely on winning every game two to one. Make good decisions, general managers, please. Some of us care about hockey. I know for some of you guys, you know, this is just your job, like your day job. You go home and you worry about other things. Some of us care about this shit, man. I want to thank Hunter for stopping by. It's always a pleasure to have him on. Please, please, please check out the Lockdown Penguins podcast. Read his work when it does go up. This is a good time of year for hockey content creators because we just get to speculate and have fun with other people's bad decisions. Hindsight is very fun for column writing and opinion writing. So this time of year is good for that kind of stuff. We will be back next week. We are starting the stretch run in baseball here. We are going to have hockey offseason stuff. Football is not that far away. It's a very fun time of year as a sports fan. This is as it's called silly season and auto sport racing, but that's what this is now for hockey and basketball. Once the finals wraps up, we are in silly season. Anything is possible. If someone gets traded for 10 first round picks in the NBA in two weeks, are you really going to be that surprised? All right. I will see you guys on Tuesday of next week. Have a good weekend. Thanks again to Hunter. See ya.